Welcome to Veteran Voices, a podcast dedicated to giving a voice to those that have served in the United States Armed Forces. On this series, jointly presented by Supply Chain Now and Vets to Industry, we sit down with a wide variety of veterans and veteran advocates to gain their insights, perspective, and stories from serving. We talk with many individuals about their challenging transition from active duty to the private sector, and we discuss some of the most vital issues facing veterans today. Join us for this episode of Veteran Voices. Hey everybody, Scott Luton with you here on Veteran Voices. Welcome to today's episode. We got a special guest host with me today, Dan Reeve, dear friend with Esker. Dan, how you doing? All good. Nice to be back. Thanks for having me. Great to have you back. I'll tell you, you're rocketing up the charts in terms of being a repeat guest here on Supply right. Chain Now and Veteran Voices Programming. And I appreciate you connecting us with our guest today, which we're going to share more on in just a moment. So, Dan, are you ready to dive into all the goodness we've got teed up here today on Veteran Voices? Yep. Ready to rock and roll. All right. So a few programming notes before we get started, folks. So Veteran Voices is part of Supply Chain Now Family Programming. Uh, we conduct the show in partnership with our dear friends at vets2industry.org. Uh, great nonprofit doing great work for our veteran community. And I believe they're about to go international. So a lot of, a lot of even more growth and good things for what they're doing for veterans. So learn more at vets2industry.org. Also, big thanks to our friends that sponsor Veteran Voices episodes, Buyer's Meeting Point, and Dial P for Procurement. Big thanks to Kelly Barner and our friends over there. So check them out at buyersmeetingpoint.com. Okay, so Dan, let's uh, introduce our guest today. We've enjoyed our pre-show conversation. Let me tell you a little bit about our guest. So we're going to be interviewing a fellow veteran entrepreneur and U.S. Marine. In fact, our guest is a gifted storyteller who consistently inspires audiences to break down barriers and run through walls. Our guest has uh, is, is regularly asked to share his powerful story of a 20-year career overcoming adversity and personal challenges. And now, outside of leading his own business, which he founded, our guest gives back as a mentor, trusted advisor, and coach. So join me in welcoming Mr. Riley Wilkins, founder and CRO with Sales Platoon. Riley, how you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate you asking me to be on your show. You bet. So. Uh, your ears have been burning. Uh, beyond Dan singing your praises, we've done our homework around here, and and uh, I think a lot of folks are big uh, members of the Raleigh Wilkins Fan Club, so great to have you here. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's glad to be here. All right. So, Dan, we want to start with kind of just getting to know Riley a little more, right? We want to we want to uh, find out one of the, my favorite questions to ask because I think it, it connects people, especially as humans. And Riley, that is, where did you grow up? Yeah, well, I grew up all throughout Virginia, rural part. So small towns, we didn't have any, we had very, I think we had two traffic lights in the one I grew up in, and then we graduated to a bowling alley in Franklin, <laughs> Virginia. So it was a uh, small town America at its best. For yeah, sure. I'll tell you now, Franklin, Virginia, if I'm thinking directionally, is that South, North, where's that? It's in the southeast corner of Virginia. So it's right on the North Carolina border, stones throw from you know, North Carolina, and then about an hour west of Virginia Beach. Okay. Uh, now, I got to ask you, you know, Dan and I love talking about food on plenty of our shows. And if you're near the border of North Carolina, then barbecue immediately comes to my mind. Oh, sure. But yeah. what, what was a big part of, of your childhood from a food standpoint? 
Oh yeah. I mean, barbecue for sure. Venison, which, you know, most people in cities never eaten, but you know, we had uh, in venison barbecue, but uh, peanuts is big down there. Huge is a war among peanuts uh, manufacturers down there. And so I personally align with hubs peanuts. <laughs> They're a small local roastery. I actually sent Dan some after we met Yeah, really good. So, but anyway, it's, yeah. So peanuts, I always think every time I come home, I load up the car. <laughs> So, <laughs> all right. So, so Dan, I got to ask, I gotta put you on the spot. Are we talking uh, bold peanuts, roasted peanuts? What, what, what did you eat? Well, he's actually sent me a, a couple of these uh, tins. And, um, you know, it's funny when he first sent me peanuts, I'm thinking, peanuts? Why is it? So now I realize it's kind of a cultural, you know, traditional gift. And uh, one of my, my close friend who I'm rock climbing with tomorrow is from Virginia, too. So I'm actually going to take one of the tins of peanuts because we've talked. Yeah. I got talking to him and said, so what's the deal with Virginia and peanuts? And he was oh, yeah, that's a big thing. You know, when you were a kid, you would be free to go to the peanut store. And, and maybe you got to do that. You know, he says, we were, he grew up poor. And he says, but, you know, that was a, a treat every once or a couple of weeks. Maybe your family would be able to afford you'd go to the peanut store and have a just just visiting. It was a real traditional thing. So um, I'm going to um, treat him to some of your peanuts tomorrow. But, okay. You know, I there and you, you get hungry. So, uh um, I love it. Yeah. I good. love it. All right. So, and, and we should probably for our audience that may have didn't catch your earlier episodes with us, Dan, you're also a veteran, uh, served in the Royal British Army as well as the Wisconsin National Guard, right? Yeah. So, uh, the, it, so I served in the British Army. Uh, effectively, the unit or the corps that I was in was the Royal Engineers. Um, so, help, helping the army move, fight, survive. Um, and also, you know, lots of time serving with the Americans. So, bur- borrowing stuff, begging, stealing. Well, you know, always some bartering and trading going on. I Any peanuts involved in those negotiations? I don't remember peanuts. So I remember being on um, Ali Al Salem Air Base in Kuwait, and I think it was a U.S. Marine was saying, "Well, do you want to trade? I, I, I can trade these munitions, but I'd like your 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 webbing." And I'm thinking, it's an interesting offer, but I'd eat back, and my regimental sergeant major might have questions about where's my webbing gone. You know, <laughs> six months, for example. You know, so. Very generous of you, but I'm going to have to decline. Um, so yeah, that was, I really enjoyed that the, the the opportunity to see how the different units meshed. Um, I, I did get sick in Iraq, and uh, U.S. field some some beautiful ladies at uh, U.S. field hospital took care of me. It was you know really 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 good people, um, you know, and um, those ladies did a great job. I was not very really well, so I really got to, to see great hospitality from from the American forces. In the end, I got loaned to the American forces. Um, team months, which is brilliant. Walking around in Wisconsin in a British uniform, and nobody knew who I was or what rank I was. But I <laughs> learned something in that exercise, which is sometimes, you know, you always assume our process, my unit uh, is better than everybody else. And when you do get loaned out to a different unit or a different army, even, well, you learn different things and you learn to appreciate actually the National Wisconsin National Guard, the Army National Guard. They've got some really good uh, drills and skills. They've really learned some things in Iraq. And, right. you know, so that was a really good exercise to learn that, hey, you know, you, you've got to be open to to sort of learning best practices where wherever they may come from. I'm with you. And I, and I appreciate that. I, you dropped a lot of truths there. Uh, I most appreciate the fact you got us connected here with Raleigh and, and we're going to be able to dive in his story. Um, and, you know, uh, so back to Franklin, Virginia. So we, we've established the, the peanuts and the value of those peanuts. And I can yeah. relate. I grew up in South Carolina old peanuts, roasted peanuts. It was, it was definitely a part of that bringing. Now 
one other thing before we, we uh, throw it over to Dan and we talk more about your time as, as a Marine, uh, in active duty with the U.S. Uh, Marine Corps, what else was was a big part of growing up all around Virginia? Yeah, you know, it's it's a funny thing. You know, Virginia is such a diverse state. It's almost like a country. You get from the, the beach to the mountains, and so you kind of can play on both sides. And I don't know if it was growing up in Nags Head and, you know, going down to North Carolina and running through those those sand dunes and you know, I had a, you know, an uncle who was a Marine and I think that formulated, you know, some early thoughts in my head, but my other uncle owned a bunch of Dairy Queens and Dairy Queens are big in the South. That's yes. like a date night, you know? And so I had a, I had a card that allowed, I still have one. Thanks uncle Mitch, where, you know, I can eat for free at any of his Dairy Queens and he's been successful. So a lot of them. So I was a heavy kid. <laughs> well, I hey. sat down and Added up the calories. I think I was eating close to 8,000 calories a day sometimes for <laughs> my mom's cooking and his Dairy Queen. <laughs> but it was just so good. It was just so good. You're so right. Good. That yeah. is date night in the South. Um, and one last point. You made it clear pre-show. You're a big Chicago Bears fan. And and uh, I think there's a lot of uh, Americans, maybe a lot of global sports followers that are that also are maybe – I'm a bandwagon Bears fans uh, from time to time. So we're all rooting for the Bears to get back. and looks like they've got a new quarterback regime uh, so we'll see what happens in the upcoming season. So, but big, oh, yeah. big, how long you've been following the bears? Yeah, since 86. I mean, two things happened and we got cable TV in Franklin, Virginia, and that enabled us to get WGN and WTBS. It was either the Braves or the Cubs and it was either the bears in Atlanta at the time didn't really have a team. So that's right. Yes. <laughs> hey, the Falcons are still trying to come back from that fourth quarter uh, meltdown that broke a lot yeah. of our hearts here. Um, yeah. But nevertheless, okay. So now that we've covered uh, where you're from, we've covered food, and now we've covered football. Uh, Dan, why don't we uh, dive into his background uh, with the Marines, huh? Yeah. So, uh, Riley, one of the things that, you know I came to learn was that the Marines, the U.S. Marines air wing is actually larger than all the aircraft in the combined forces in the UK. So clearly a big organization. And for those who don't know, actually what's interesting right now is the, the, the newest ca uh, carrier that's just been deployed, HMS Queen Elizabeth II, is full of F-35s. Half the squadron is Marine Corps, half the squadron is Royal Air Force and Royal, uh, Royal Navy. So I imagine the US Marines love the fact that they can have a couple of beers every night because... <laughs> Or run. They're probably not used to doing that when they're on the Eisenhower or the Nimitz, you know, but on, yeah. <laughs> on our carriers, they can have a few sherbets. So, you know, I don't know if you were on a carrier or I believe you, you know, you, you traveled around. What was your, what was your MOS? Or, you know, what was your, what was your role or roles? Where did you serve? Yeah. So I started, I was all over, um, but my main deployment was out to Japan. So I spent two years out there, lived out there. Um, was with the first Marine Air Wing out there in WHS-1. It was a helicopter squadron. Our, our commander was a Harrier pilot um, and then came back stateside. And so I was a 4341 combat journalist when I came back. Um, so Private Joker from uh, Full Metal Jacket, that was my my MOS, if you've seen that whole movie. Right, right. But um, yeah, and so, you know, it was, uh, I came back to the stateside. They put me in Richmond back in Virginia at INI duty, so inspector instructor staff with battery H314 artillery battery. And so that was a that was an interesting experience to go from the from the wing in Japan to the you know artillery battery. So now how, how far when you when you went back to Richmond, how far were you from your your folks? I wasn't too far. I was close enough that they didn't far enough away they didn't expect me home for dinner, but close enough <laughs> I can go there on the weekend. So Perfect. it was you know, yeah. <laughs> 
It was good. Um, And just like Dan said, you know, one of the things that was great about being stationed in one of those independent duty stations is nobody knows it's terrible to be a Marine on active duty at the base. I mean, you go off base and it's just, you got all the negativity of what people's unconscious bias against the military is. Mm. You get to go somewhere. Nobody knows the Marines. And it's like, you walk down the street in a uniform on the way to work and it's like, man, it was, it was what I joined, you know, it's like, all right, this is, this is a little better, a little better treatment than what's your rank and what kind of car can you afford? Yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that's a good point. And, and Dan, I got to say that that is one of the first times that's come up in one of our podcasts. But uh, as I'm thinking back, just as Raleigh shares that, I think, I think there is um, quite a bit of, of that unconscious bias and, and assumptions and, and stereotyping goes on in these military towns at times, right? Not not to generalize too much, but I remember Raleigh and Dan, when I was in the Air Force first time, I was probably, gosh, 18. I was 19 when I when I hit my first duty station, permanent duty station at Shaw Air Force Base in South Carolina. Got one of my first cars and and I completely backed into like this really nice Nissan 300Z or, or, or something, some nice sports car. The lady got out of it and she let me have it. And, and probably some of that unconscious bias came right out of her, you know, cause I was in uniform at lunch, but you know, kidding aside, that is something we have to, we have to break through not only while you're serving, but as we'll talk about uh, here soon, the transition, right. As folks try to understand what you do and what you're good at and, and um, what you did in the military. So, all right. So Dan, where are we going next with Raleigh? Well, I think the thing we're going to talk about is uh, folks that made an impression. When I think you asked me this question, Scott, and you said, were there a couple of people that really helped uh, shape you or were there people that really stood out from your time in the military? And I talked about one of my staff sergeants who acted a little bit like a father figure and uh, made sure my behavior, attitude and technique were always improving, and especially my attitude was where it needed to be. A uh, really good father figure, John Patterson, I'll give him a shout out. He was... Uh, became sergeant major of my squadron uh, later. So, Rally, I think we're gonna, my turn to throw the question to you. I mean, are there people from the military that, we, I don't know, for one reason or another, they really stood out, they really had an impact on you? Yeah, there's a couple. And I was, I was thinking back to that first command, and it was a Lieutenant Colonel Holcomb. And for being a young enlisted guy, you know, he was at our, really my first command. He, similar to you, we had, had some interaction where we ended up hitting it off. And he was always kind of looking out for me and he would give me books to read. And one of those was Joe Galloway's uh, book. We were soldiers once and young. And so it was, you know, he got my, my interest peaked and I think he saw something in me. So he kept pushing me to do different things, go to meritorious boards, which I did and won, compete in different things, try out for the force recon in doc, which I did um, all these different things he pushed for. And then the commissioning program. So he was really instrumental in getting me, like he saw something, a spark in me and pushed it and, and, you know, and encouraged me. And of course, from there, other people kind of jumped on too. And, you know, it was, it was very interesting coming from the background that I did to all of a sudden find myself in the situation where people were really supportive and, you know, wanted me and saw something in me that I hadn't even seen in myself. And that, you know, that is one of the beautiful things, at least during my time as well, that that, that uh, not just the camaraderie, but beyond that, you know, oftentimes who you're reporting to, they're, they're uh, trying to find those special gifts and talents and, and trying to look after you so that you can 
uh, you can advance and, and maybe make rank earlier. And it sounds like that's what it was. It was it Colonel Holcomb. You said there, Riley. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he, he played a big yeah. role there. Who else comes to mind? Yeah. Well, I mean, he was really instrumental. There was a, a warrant officer and I was, I knew you're going to ask me and then I drew a blank on his name right when you said it, <laughs> but he had, I knew him. I knew him when he was a staff sergeant and he was the guy that um, he would, he was the fastest runner in the battalion. And so, you know, it was, when you get there, you kind of, you got to make up your mind if you're going to push yourself or not, when you get in the fleet force. And I decided I was, and so I was going to catch him and Corporal Kang. And, um, you know, he, he was, damn, I just had his name in my head too. And I just <laughs> forgot it again when I said it, but he was, he was relentless, man. He wouldn't, there's no such thing as letting you win. Like we'd be in the last 300 yards of a seven mile run and he'd still be pushing it all the way. And he would always win. And then he'd kind of look back and laugh and said, so piss me off. So I'd go run and try to beat him. I finally beat him, you know, but then he went off to chief warrant officer school and became chief warrant officer. So he'd probably beat me now in a foot race. No, I was going to say, it's just people like that. You know, I mean, there were so many people, you know, along the way that, you know, again, you know, and we don't have a lot of time to get into background and all, but I mean, you know, I'm not a traditional background guy to go in the military. I went in, I was a junior in college at Old Dominion University. Um, but I had, you know, by the time I was 15, I was incorrigible. Uh, my mom didn't know what to do with me. Single family single mother or single mother. Um, my uncle was trying to help out my grandmother, but I was in foster care system by the time I was 15. And, wow. Um, and you know, and when I was 16, you know, I stood in front of a judge and they gave me away. And, and, you know, so by the time I was 20, I was headed for a life of, I don't know, mediocrity and, and kind of a last gasp self-effort. It was, uh, the Marine Corps came in and saved my life save my life. No, no, no doubt about it that I would have a completely different life if I had not joined the Marine Corps and gotten through boot camp. Um, and then these people started seeing things in me that people in high school weren't seeing in me, mm. even in college. And it was like, wait, maybe I do have some worth. Maybe I do have some value. Maybe I can become something in this life beyond just, you know, an hourly worker or, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. It's noble work, but it's like, I didn't have that belief in myself. And so the Marine Corps was one of those things where it was a great equalizer. You get the same pay, same haircut, same uniform, and you really just get to test the metal of an individual and you find yourself out. I agree with that. I mean, I had an experience where I, when I went to university at the same time, I, I began, um, I, I joined the, the effectively it was called the Territorial Army, which is the reserves, the British Army reserves. And one of the first things that I said is, okay, I want to be they're big into mountaineering, climbing, outdoor sports in general as a way of you can't always be training for war, but you can be getting fit and learning to work well as a team and putting yourself through difficult circumstances. That all translates. And they put me straight through. Um, I wanted to go and do the mountaineering course. And they're like, yeah, but first you can do some, something for us. And they, they threw me into the, the, uh, the army's um, physical training instructor school, which I didn't consider myself good enough, strong enough, fit enough to go and do that. And they were, they were, you know, you'd hear these horror stories. Oh, this is the, everybody goes on a course in the army. Oh, you know, everybody blows it up and then you go and do it. And you're like, they sort of said, we think you could do it. We think you could pass train, go and do it. I loved it. And and I I, I haven't been a gifted athlete at school. I mean, I think since then, if anything, you know, all the the mountaineering and everything that I do nowadays, it was, you know, they added added the fuel to my rocket. I just didn't have a school. Mm. 
suddenly it's like I believe in myself. Suddenly I'm I'm doing stuff that's longer, harder than anything I I, I know others are doing. Because the army pushed me there and said, "Go do it." And yes, then you get to do all these other all these other doors will open for you. So I think when we when we talk about hiring, I think when when we get into talking about hiring uh, veterans. They've often, you know, think about Goggins, you know, some of you read his book, the Navy SEAL, David Goggins, can't hurt me. Most of them have got a cookie jar. And what I mean by that is there's stuff they've done in the military that they can tap into when times are hard or it's going to take a lot more effort. They've done some stuff they can root into and go, yep, I've been pushed, I've been tested before, I can go, I can go there again. And I think that's always interesting to... For me, that's one of the things a veteran brings is they've probably been pushed and test, tested and put through the crucible. Sounds like you probably had some of that as well in Raleigh. Yeah, tell, so that's a great point, Dan, because uh, I, I tend to agree with you. So, Raleigh, clearly, as you were transitioning from a really tough, you, you called it incorrig- incorrigible, which is such a great word. And as you were going through, it sounds like the uh, foster care system and then the Marines it seems like that structure initially and, and, and the support you got from a supervisory standpoint where they were looking to see how you, how they could, you know, find, um, not find your purpose, but find your talents, find your gifts. It sounds like that was really instrumental to what sets you for a new trajectory, you know, post-career, post-military. Is that right? Yeah, for sure. You know, and it was, you know, it was, you know, I was lucky, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, I, you know, when I, I lived with some family friends for a while when at first I was kind of going off the bus and then that didn't work. And I ended up going into this family. This is when I was still young. Okay. This is when you're still young. Yeah. Gotcha. But then there was a, a Marine as well, who was a major, his name was uh, Michael Johnson and his family took me in for the last year when I was 16 to 17. And then I was on, I just kind of took off <laughs> when my own thing, got my own job and worked a little restaurant, but they really took me in. And he was, again, one of those people. He was a no-nonsense. He was a Vietnam veteran. He was a major in the Marine Corps. He was a Mustang officer. And he didn't really mince words with me or put up with much. And But the thing that was different about the Marine Corps was instead of just getting beat up, which I felt like I was pretty good at taking a licking and keep on ticking like the old Timex watch, you know, <laughs> you know, it was, it was that... There was this sense that there's room for one more if you mean business. If you're willing to give it your all, we will meet you more than halfway to make sure you get to where you want to go. Mm. You know, it's only when you give up that you're done. And I never gave up my life. There was no point of giving up, even at the worst, darkest point. And the Marine Corps really has a way of shaping that. I don't know if everybody has the same experience Dan and I did going through the military, but it truly was transformational. I mean, boot camp did more for me than any therapy or priest or well-meaning family member because it really was the great equalizer. There's the distance. It's three miles. We're all running there. Who gets there first? Right. You know, and it's like, or whatever it is that you're doing, hey, we're in recon in doc day and we're not stopping till we lose half of the people that tried out. That's not a distance. <laughs> you know, it is a great equalizer. <laughs> You know, and, it's and, a will, it's right. a pure will thing. Well, and it's also a great level setter, right? Um, once they, they tear you down and build you back up and, and, you know, the military standards and you've got some, some brothers and sisters you can lean on. And, and then you get to your, your first duty station and learn how to, then you learn the kind of the professional side, meaning the, um, you know, the skill side of the military. And then it sounds like you had some great support there. So 
I'd love to die. I bet you got all Marine. All, let's face it, all Marines have better stories than what we have sometimes in the Air Force where I served. But when did you get out? What year? Kind of give us a backdrop because I want to talk about your transition yeah. next. What What year did you get out? Yeah, it was interesting. So I got, I came off active duty in August of two thousand and one. And then aligned myself with a reserve battalion, 4th LAV battalion out of Northern Virginia. And we all know what happened not even a month later. It was September 11th happened. And I fully expected to get activated, called back up. You know, I'd done my six plus years, but I was ready to go. And it was, they'd, for whatever reason, that battalion was not on the immobilization plan and we didn't go anywhere. And so I ended up having a very non- I don't know what you would call it, non-combative career in the Marine Corps. But when you train for something for six years and you're ready to go, it was like, I remember calling the base up at Quantico and saying, hey, it's Sergeant Wilkins. You guys ready for me? And they're like, we're good. We'll call you if we need you. You know, and it was like, it's like, no, I mean, I'll put me in coach. I'm ready to play, you know? And it was this weird dynamic where, and I would tell you that in a different way, and I've got a chance to work with probably close to a thousand veterans now over the last couple of years. And that transition out is hard in ways that we cannot imagine. And that loss of identity was a big one for me. And it is for a lot of the guys that I work with. And they underestimate that when they leave active duty. I did. And I found myself right back to being, and I hate to say it this way, but I found myself back in the place of being a frightened 15-year-old boy and I don't know where to put my hands. Right. Yeah. You just took my uniform. You took my rank. You took my sense of purpose. You took my dignity. And here I am back in the world. And all of a sudden they don't care. They don't know anything about what I did and they don't know how to translate it. You know, and what do you do with a, with a former admin slash combat journalist who was deployed with artillery so he can blow shit up and write a story about it. There's not a whole lot of, <laughs> not a whole lot of, you, you know, big career civilian path for that. Right. Well, I can definitely relate to that uh, from my own journey. I think a lot of folks that we've interviewed and just network and talk with that, that also have had uh, struggles for different reasons in their transition could relate to that. Dan, what, I mean, from, from your perspective, what did you hear there and, and how does it resonate with you? Well, I think the most interesting thing is it, it is going to it is going to be a be an impact. It is going to be a change. Um, I think I'm jumping questions that we had planned, but I'll go there anyway. When 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 one of Rally Sales Platoon members called me, he got in touch and he said, "Have you got any advice for when I transition?" And I said, "Well, you know, in many ways I was lucky. I can say that now. At the time, I mean, my, I'd always wanted to go and be a career officer in the Royal Engineers, and, I, and they said we'll be honoured if you become one of our officers." And I was like, "Wow." This is a 400-year-old, 500-year-old organization saying, come on in. And I mucked up that assessment. So basically, I ended up staying as a non-commissioned officer and continued my career. I've been with my software company, Esco, 23 years. So my transition happened every weekend or every couple of weeks when I was away with the Army back to civilian. I got used to doing it a lot. And even if just transitioning from weekends or, or two-week periods, which I did all the time, even there, I, I, I sort of come back and be like, ah, I've got to, I've got to change my head. They, they don't understand what I've just been through. They don't understand what I've just achieved and how much time and effort and just how difficult that really was. And conversely, the folks in the military, they don't understand the complexity and some of the size of these projects and deals, and global technology projects I'm working on. So sometimes there is overlap. I think, I think what Riley said is, yeah, you know, you, you do build up a lot of identity, a lot of self-worth, a lot of you, the belief in yourself is through what you do in the military and you get to wear that on your uniform your rank and people knowing well where you served, what course you've you've been, or what you've achieved, and suddenly you're naked, you know. And, and I think 
how do you, I guess the big question is, how do you prepare for that? Right. Scales right. that you can take to the civilian world. Yep. Do, you, do you build your resume and look at, well, what, what have I done? You know, and for, uh, this is where I, I would give a plug out to David Goggins and say, anybody who hasn't read the book and gone through the exercise, he actually makes you sort of go through that and say, what were the things, that, the, the obstacles I've overcome in my life? Yep. The things I've done that I've really achieved. I think people, that might force veterans to really think about that stuff and they'll be better prepared for the interview in civilian street. So that's the perfect segue. So beyond reading David Goggins' book, uh, right. which I'm going to have to add to my list. You'll, Raleigh, be, doing, you'll th- be doing workouts at four in the morning. <laughs> yeah, you're that, guy, right. that guy's a beast. <laughs> but, so Riley, what else, before we start talking about sales platoon here, uh, if you had a room yeah. full of folks that were getting ready to transition or, or already have started to transition, what's some advice you'd give them? You know, and it, I, I get to have this, it's a loaded question away because I, one of the few people probably that gets to have a couple hundred conversations every quarter with veterans. I mean, I had over a hundred conversations in the last several weeks. I mean, it was packed 12, 14 conversations in a row wow. with veterans that are coming off active duty. And I mean, all ranks E3 to, to 06. So from Lance Corporal to full bird Colonel. And essentially the first thing that I have to do is I try to think about what they're hearing in the market. And then I hear, I try to give them some ground truth, right? Military term. What's the, you know, what's the straight scoop on what you need to know? And the big, I try to push a lot of myths and misconceptions out of the way. And the biggest misconception, so the biggest thing people think is they go, oh, military leadership. And they come out and they tell them all to put military leadership on their resume. And I can tell you now, this is a guy who spent 20 years in the civilian world. I'm not impressed with your military leadership. You, you ran an organization with people that couldn't quit, that were subject to the UCMJ, that had Article 686 and Article 92. They lose their rank if they mouth off the superior officer. They, if they don't show up, you can come get them with the MPs, drag them out of bed and take them to work in the morning. I, I'm not impressed any more than you would be impressed by an SVP of operations for Amazon and all they had done and put them in charge of first Marine expeditionary force supply lines. Hmm. There's a disconnect there and, and no one talks about it. They want to pretend like, Oh, it's a direct transition. Well, it's not a direct transition because when you come off active duty, there's no rank structure. There's no uniform. There's no Dan's a director. Sedan is the same thing as an O five. Well, no, that's not the way the civilian world works. Sometimes he's like an E one. Sometimes he's like O nine. And and learning that is a hard lesson. The longer they've been in, and the reason is there's only three things that separate our military from the civilian world. I try my best from the from the cook in the Marine Corps to the you know Navy SEAL. What do we all have in common? And the, the only things I can come up with are a boot camp, uniform, and the UCMJ. <laughs> And and boot camp, we all went to boot camp. Everybody had to go through transformational. And why that's important to think about is when you went to boot camp, it was six to 14 weeks of learning mission, then team, then self. And you learn to set aside the mantle of self-worth that every Susie sorority and Frankie fraternity has spent four years building. Right. And so you're coming at the every problem set from a completely different point of view. And the longer you're in, the harder it is. Then you, the rank structure, obviously uniform, you know where you stand in a very complex organizational unit. And then finally, the UCMJ is, I, I tell people, it's like being a U.S. citizen, except you voluntarily give away half your rights and all your freedom. Right. So and it feels, you can't be what you want. <laughs> it can feel like a lot more than half. It does. 
if if that makes sense. So yes, I know we're just scraping the surface. There's so much more yeah. uh, given what you do in terms of uh, transition advice. We'll have to have you back on. But Dan, I want to start talking about sales platoon because that's where where Dan you put Raleigh on my radar at least. And as we talked pre-show, I wish I had Raleigh Wilkins back when I separated out of the Air Force in 2002. So so Dan, why don't we start talking about sales platoon? What do you think? Well, I think we should go the Simon Sinek road. Root. Okay. Yeah. I nearly used the American term route. I'm going to use the British term route. So, uh, why? Why did you do it? What What propelled you to do it? What were you trying to get out of creating this you know, organization that trains up veterans to go into a career in sales? Um, why Why did you go about it? I mean, I know, um, perhaps this was something, an evolution, perhaps something you'd been thinking about for a while. Tell us your why. Why did you do it? What was your yeah, why? Yeah. Why now? Yeah. Why, why are you doing it? Yeah, well, I'll do my best not to turn into an advertisement, as you guys say in Britain, instead right. of an advertisement, which we say here in the South. <laughs> but, commercial. Um, yeah. yeah, commercial, advertisement, whatever. Uh, but yeah, the, the why came to be over a period of time. So when I came off active duty, it took me a few years to find my way into corporate America. And then it took me a, about a year from there to find my way into a sales role. And I was an accidental salesperson in corporate America. I was not the prototypical, you know, four-year degree guy who comes out and goes and gets an AE role. I was the former U.S. Marine who came out as an executive assistant who went into marketing, finished his degree, and then went into sales. And I failed at it. And it was weird because I was really successful at vacuum salesman when I was on active duty. I sold Kirby vacuums door to door. Wow. Um, yeah. But that does not translate to the corporate world. And the main reason is, as you guys know, when you're in, when you're selling to corporate, every human being buys things because it's gonna, it's what the product is gonna do for me. It doesn't matter what the product does; it's what is it gonna do for me. And that's as true mm-hmm. for a, a man at home that's doing his vacuuming as it is for a, a woman CEO who's deciding which accounts payable software to use. Mm-hmm. So you know, <laughs> it's you know trying to figure that out, but. So I failed at it, not realizing that there was a science to business selling that was much deeper and ingrained and much more aligned with my military service than I'd even realized, whether it was after action reports, BAMSIS, five paragraph orders, SMEAC, all these different acronyms we use in the military when we're doing war fighting and war planning. They translate very well to the sales world because you got recon, you got to do all your different analysis, you have to do your research, then you have to use persuasion. You have, you know, you don't have rank to use when you're in sales, but you have to have influence. Well, that sounds a lot like being an NCO. And and so there's a lot there that I didn't know. I had to fail. I had to get really, really bad at it. And I was like number 495 out of 500 of the B2B salespeople at T-Mobile in Bethesda, Maryland, um, and ready to get fired. Probably the only reason I didn't get fired is the other four worst people in the company were on my team. And so I looked better than them, but it wasn't saying much. And uh, so, you know, but I think because I wasn't the best natural B2B salesperson, it gave me a respect for process and the science of it, the numbers of it, um, that there is a pathway to learn. And in essentially the day that I learned what that was and started applying it through a bunch of different books, Stephen Schiffman's Cold Calling Basics, Miller Hyman was really big back then, PSS. I became a student of sales. Uh, Sandler, which I know you're a fan of, Dan. And, you know, and, and I got, became a student. I started to apply it in the laboratory of life. And it's very similar to like the laboratory of learning to fight. If you've never fought before, it's like, it doesn't make sense. A lot of the things you do are counterintuitive, leaning in when you want to retreat, attacking through an ambush. They're all counterintuitive things you learn. Sales is a lot like that. 
And in doing those things, I went from number 495 to the top five within a year from making $40,000 a year to well over $200,000 a year. And, and I knew, I knew that I would never go hungry again. And I knew that I'd found a pathway that was the great equalizer because it was the world's last meritocracy. They didn't care that I didn't go to a good school. They don't care that I was older than everybody else on the team. They didn't care. It was, what can you do today? What did you do the last 30 days for our organization? And I realized then that sales as a profession was very misunderstood. And that the second piece was that there was a group of people that were salespeople within it that were just as as astute group of professionals as being an engineer and architect. And I said, if I'm going to do this, because at the time I want to go back to school and be a maritime lawyer. And I said, if I want to commit to this instead of going back to law school, I want to professionalize sales the same way that those other industries like architecture have been professionalized. And it, it was a pure calling in me. In the next 20 years, I spent working my way and building teams. And Sales Platoon was a natural evolution of that because my favorite part of, and, and I know I'm talking a lot, but my favorite, um, my favorite, you know, one of my favorite stories, I got called into this company. So I was a manager and a director and a senior director, and I got brought in to turn around this company. And there was three guys that I was told needed to go. And I'm not going to mention the company or the guy's names because it would be fair to them because they're still very active. But I went into the company, I was doing this, and I said, I always had the belief whenever I took over command or, you know, new corporal, new sergeant, whatever in a place, and I inherited people, I said, look, here's a straight dope. Here's what I heard about you. I don't know you. You don't know me. So you got a blank slate with me. We got 30 days to figure this out. And so I got to sit down with those guys. And it was when I started making that transition from I want to make as much money as I can and get as high as I can in the organization to how many people can I develop? And I put those three people on a plan. I gave them the option. I said, it's Thursday afternoon. Don't tell me today. Come back on Monday. And it's up to you. If you want to, we'll get really, I'm going to get really involved in your life for the next 90 days. Or you can come back on Monday and tell me you don't want me to get involved. And that's fine. I won't fire you. You're doing me a service by letting me know you're retired on active duty. I will continue to pay you out for the next 90 days and you go find your next role. And two out of three took me up on that offer. And I got really involved in their lives. And two of those guys, they both became team leads, later managers, then directors and senior directors. And now they have teams and sales careers of their own. And I realized that I, because maybe of all those struggles, I had a unique ability to reach a diverse group of people and teach them what I had learned and then transform their lives. And that was the seeds for what became... 10 years before sales platoon became sales platoon, which is I would say, hey, go to my recruiting agent and I would say, hey, give me a stack of the resumes you've rejected in the last 30 days because I knew I was going to find my Marines, Army, Navy, Air Force, Coast Guard in there because they don't have any sales experience. Why would you bring them into a sales role? But if they even applied, they've got the a thought process that I want to meet with. Mm. And we started building those onboarding programs. And so over 10 years, I started doing it. Well, I can say you started to describe there what sales platoon is and maybe for the benefit of the audience folks may not actually realize exactly what sales platoon is i mean uh, i hinted earlier and explained it's a it's a conduit for folks to move from the military into sales but could you put it in words and describe what, what, what you're doing now what is sales platoon? yeah yeah so so sales platoon is a transformational um program designed for active duty military and soon especially soon to separate veterans who are leaving active duty and they're interested in, but have, don't know how to break into corporate sales. And 
I, I am of the belief, which I know you are, Dan, and I believe Scott would be of this belief too. He can contradict us if not, that sales is more of an apprenticeship than it is a study course. You can take, you can watch all the YouTube videos and read all the books in the world you want on how to be a great right. golfer. But until you right. go to the range and try to hit that ball, you don't know a damn thing about golf. Right. And until you, the first time, go out in there, try to sell and apply the things it's like the industry playing a first-person shooter game and being a Navy SEAL deployed in a Ford combat theater war. It's like they're two totally different things. So I designed a program that was 12 weeks to six months long, a true apprenticeship where they're with us full-time. It's 160 hours of instructionally designed material, but it's teach, enable, do. So by week four, they're on the phones calling in to people like you and sea levels in Fortune 5,000 companies and able to secure appointments and start to learn how to sell by doing it, by being part of a team and using discover.org and HubSpot and all the other tools of the trade, Zoom Info and Connect and Sell, which you, you know we use. But you know, there's that was the idea is, what's that first 90 days that I really is the crucible you wanna put people through when they're new in your organization because you know it takes that long for them to get the product, the product line, and understand are they even can they learn to sell? And can I take that off the plate of a corporation where they don't have to do that? It's not a guesswork whether these people can learn to sell. Right. They already know. Does that make sense? It and does. So that's the question for you. So do you work directly at what I'm hearing with organizations that hire sales platoon to help improve and 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 probably diversify their sourcing of sales talent. I'm hearing that channel. And then I'm, I'm also assuming you work with individuals that, that come across sales platoon and say, hey, I want to get into this highly lucrative career of selling. Uh, can you work with me? So you work in both of those channels, Raleigh, is that right? Yeah. So it's an, it's an interesting model and everybody that has heard it before it became successful told me it wasn't possible to do it that way. Um, I don't charge the veteran and never will. I don't take their GI Bill. We're not a nonprofit and I don't take money from the government. So they're like, well, how do you make money? And I said, I help companies make money. And they said, well, how do you help companies make money? And I said, how Susie Sorority and Frankie Fraternity doing statistically when you hire them into your sales organization? How many of them, how good are you at, at hiring, recruiting, sourcing, grit, determination, resiliency, and past experience when you're taking raw talent? And the answer is it's 50-50 at best. I mean, some companies like Dan's great. He's got an amazing program and he's a little better than the average bear, a lot better than the average bear, but they'll, they'll train and they bring them on. You know, most companies, they really struggle with how do you, I mean, think about the burden you put on the average recruiter. What you're saying, if you're a sales leader and you go to recruiters, you're saying, I want you to go and find me the next PGA tour star, but you can only hire people onto the PGA who have never played golf before. And based on the way they wrestle and play football, you got to determine right now, are they going to be good on the PGA? Because as soon as you hire them, we're going to put them on the course. And that's what sales is like. Right. The day you start playing golf, you're on the PGA tour and you're getting evaluated, metric, rated, and people can't deal with that. Right. You better, you better be hitting those drives. You better be rolling those big, big money putts in. Yeah. So I love the fact what you, what I heard there, you never charge the veterans. You don't take the benefits. You don't charge the government. You focus, you monetize the business based on the results that you're producing with the or, with the companies that you're working with. I love that. And my understanding is that's how you and Dan met. So so Dan, tee that up and and let, let's, uh, what have been your experiences with Raleigh? Well, uh, I think the way we met is, I think it was Devin. I yep. picked up two of uh, Raleigh's troops 
um, airmen, uh, two f- former airmen. And one of them hit me up, just contacted me on LinkedIn, and then he called me, and he was asking for some advice. You know, that's a very interesting approach. It's not, I'm trying to sell you something. He was just trying to ask you some advice. And I, I thought about it and thought, well, okay, fair enough. I could probably cut a few, few minutes to give him a little bit of advice. And he went back to, well, what was your transition like? And, I, and he said, I'm trying to get into sales and can I get some advice off you? I'm like, okay. So we had a chat. I liked the guy. We had a chat and he followed up and he said, I'm going to send you this. And, you know, this is what, this is really what I'm up to and trying to sort of grow, grow my, my knowledge and awareness of sales and, and, open up a position so I can go into sales. I, I, here's why I wanted to, here's why I was done with the military. I'd reached the point where I wanted to leave, wanted to grow and develop further. Yeah, I, I, as Rally was just talking there about taking folks, growing them, developing them, giving them the opportunity to achieve dreams they didn't think was possible. That's the cool thing about sales. You know, back in Wisconsin recently, and you know, one of my guys, I'm taking you out to my land, we're gonna go fly fish. Cool, I like to fly fish. First thing he does, he says, I wanna thank you. For what? He said, this wouldn't have been possible without you. He says, all I did was, you put the effort, the graft, the determination, the study, and the application. All I did was open the door. Now and again, tweaked you, adjusted you, you know. So I think what Rally's tapped into as a sales leader, yeah, we're busy. But yeah, it's so, I think, depending on you know how you're wired, for me, it's so rewarding to see people develop and grow. And then, you know, we, we keep training them and developing them. And often they bring back ideas and more content and you get this this multiplier effect. And that's what I'm seeing both with certainly the two guys that we brought in from Rally's organization is they came in hungry, humble, and, you know, they raised the bar a little bit. Certainly they raised the bar of effort. It's like, hey, we don't know this space. We've, we've learned some things from Rally. But we'll bring our A game every day. So um, that's how we got connected. One of Rally's veterans reached out and had a chat with me. And then Love he, it. It was compelling, and I was like, "Well, yeah, okay." He's like, "Would you would you have a chat with, chat with our fan?" And I'm like, "Yeah, that sounds interesting." That is uh, that's, what a great testimony, and it really uh, speaks to the vol- uh, the value of what the, of the organization and the methodology and the system that you've built, uh, Riley. And I love it. And and so, veterans, if you're listening, folks in transition, well, I'll tell you what. Instead of me saying it, Riley, for for veterans and for whoever's listening, from a uh, individual candidate standpoint who, who do you look for to reach out maybe get into your system your database what have you yeah ideally you're going to have at least 90 days left on your service because we are authorized through dod skill bridge it's entitlement if you don't even know you have it if you served active duty for 180 days minimum then you have an entitlement where up to your last 180 days the government will tad temporarily assign you to a company to learn a trade and so we were authorized, one of the few companies that does what we do that's authorized to the DOD to train you and take you. And she can be with us up to six months before you leave active duty where we can really train and get you up to speed. The second thing is don't get locked into your MOS, your job code. No one, I don't remember everybody calling me aside and saying, Raleigh, what would fulfill you to be a Marine? What would you like to do? They're like, no, here's your test. Here's what you scored. Here's what you're going to do, you know? And then no one along the way was like, you know, does this fulfill you? Do you feel more of it? Nobody cared. You know, it's like, just show up, shut up and do your job. So there's plenty of wrench turners and aircraft mechanics and infantry and artillery and, you know, guys and girls who you're not even thinking about sales because you think of sales as the person that knocks on your door at five o'clock and wants to put solar panels on your roof or annoys you when you're trying to buy a pair of dress shoes. You're not thinking about how does a company like Esker get its product out in front of executives? How do you how do you become a game changer and a change agent? 
And, you know, most times when I talk to us military folks, they think, oh, I got to go into operations or logistics because that's where you do the planning in the military. That's not where the planning occurs in the civilian world. The planning, the real planning and change occurs in the sales and revenue ops world. But we don't know about that in the military. So, you know, read some books, you know, get to know, listen to some people, you know, stare away from the, if they're real popular and they got like three million followers, they don't know what the hell they're talking about. Okay. It's just, they're really good at talking, but most of it's not applicable. Find like the guys that are doing stuff like what he did. He found Dan, right? Here's a, here's a, here's a former British Royal Army guy, you know, and I'm going to call him up and ask him a question about how he got to where he is. Hell, that's. So, you know, that's how you find your way into study. Find somebody that's doing it, and that's what right. I was talking about. Love that. Well, that's great advice, even outside of sales. Dan, you were going to add something there? Yeah, you know, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a good Southerner uh, I know very well. He's a, a guy who's written a numerous number of books, Jeb Blunt. Anybody oh, yeah, well, he's a different, yeah, he's actually a good guy. Anybody who's, <laughs> I mean, there's a guy who, who, who can do it all, and uh, very humble, got an engine like nobody I know, wasn't in the military, could have could have easily been in the military, but anybody who really wants to sort of get the real, you know, there's a difference between reading the book with theory and reading the book where, hey, this guy, I use the things he does, I say the things he says, and it works. I'd go read some of Jeb Blunt's books. Fanatical prospecting yeah. is good. EQ for sales, because emotional intelligence and empathy and the ability to really listen, these are key. And I don't, I think one of, that could be a barrier. Folks in the, in, in the civilian world might be thinking, oh, I don't know, if, can this person come in and both do project management and really apply empathy and EQ and listening skills. I met some people in the military. One of my warrant officers was a paratrooper. Formerly, he was so Corps of Royal Engineers, but 5-9, sorry, I'm getting, uh, 9 Parachute Squadron. So super fit. He could pass the Army fitness test running backwards. True story, he did. He ran (laughs) backwards for a mile and a half and beat a lot of people and passed. He did it for a joke. But the best man management skills some of the best management management skills I've ever seen. So sometimes I think we have this, this this perspective that they may not have, you know, the the EQ, the empathy, the listening, the emotional skills. These are all key skills for sales. So anybody in the veterans, any any veterans thinking about getting out, take a look at um, some of the, the Jeb Blunt stuff. EQ for sales is especially good. EQ for sales. We'll try to include the link to that as well as some of those other things y'all both have mentioned. So I, I love the model. I love sales platoon. I'm drinking the Kool-Aid because I, I love I love kind of how your approach as well. As much as I I believe that um, our fellow veterans, you know, there's plenty of things that they are carved out of because of this unconscious bias, because of these assumptions that folks make about what their abilities are, what their potential is. And I love how Sales Platoon in one aspect of that is fighting back against that. So excellent work, Raleigh. I really appreciate the fact you you, you spent, you know, as busy as you are, you spent some time with us, you and Dan. For the sake of time, we're not going to be able to do this justice, but you know, you're also a fellow entrepreneur, fellow founder. And as we were talking pre-show, there's a plethora, and I think it's a beautiful thing. There's a plethora of military entrepreneurialism and, for that matter, military spouse and significant other entrepreneurialism. Uh, big shout out to our friends at Spousely. If y'all have, if y'all are new to that, it's like a marketplace for uh, military um, entrepreneurs and like product creators and stuff. Um, but y'all check that out. But but speak to Riley. Speak to want to be founders, whether they're veterans or not. In, in a small nutshell, what's one or two pieces of advice there? Yeah, like you said, I mean, we could spend a whole podcast episode just touching into that. Don't underestimate the power of your network that you have. 
and starting to develop that before you leave because you're going to need those mentors. You, you know, the military, we take people, you know, and we transform them and we don't hire civilian contractors to go to Paris Island and make Marines. We have Marines make Marines. So when you're doing your transition and you're thinking about being an entrepreneur, by, by God, get to know some. You know, don't rely on your TAP officer, or a well-meaning book author to, to help you because the hardest piece of coming out of the military from any of the things is when you go to become an entrepreneur, every company only has one purpose, and that is to produce a revenue or profit, period. It might have moralistic property. It might have a why that's deeper than that. But if I don't produce revenue for sales platoon, it doesn't exist. There is no money bucket to go get. So I have to produce revenue for Dan's company, for other companies, or otherwise it's just a charity. And so if you're going to be an entrepreneur, realize that for whatever years you were in the military, 4, 8, 12, 20, 30 years, you were never responsible for creating revenue. You were responsible for allocating revenue. And so when you go become an entrepreneur, you really need to understand how to do sales. And for most people that come out that want to be entrepreneurs I, and they're in the military, I say their biggest handicap is they don't know how to raise and create capital. You know, even, you know, I was talking to a, a friend of mine yesterday and he's got a great program, but he can't articulate the value of that program to a CEO. And therefore, everybody's saying, we love what you're saying, but they don't know how to buy from them. And, and that's the thing you have to be able to, and that's just realizing that I think is one of those things that we, revenue creation is not something that comes naturally, you know, it's a difference between managing a budget and creating the budget. Right. Right. Well, you know, yeah. as we all know, uh, in uniform, the first and the 15th, uh, like clockwork, right. That paycheck, the LES statement that, that was coming and you never had to worry about that. Although there were some some visits I'd like to forget over work, work, working with the folks in military pay. But hey, I'm not throwing stones. They had a tough job. But as an entrepreneur, you're you're absolutely right. You hit the nail on the head. Um, if I could just add one one more thing to a little tidbit, and, and I know we could we could spend a week talking about this, but I think it's really important. I think what's illustrated right here in this conversation is if you're looking for a mentor or an advisor as a potential founder, as a potential entrepreneur, be very judicious of who you seek counsel from, especially who you pay any kind of consulting fees to. There's lots of folks going back to something. I think Raleigh said, Dan may have alluded to it as well. There's a lot of folks that talk about it and then there's folks that do it and they've got the results and, and the businesses that they've built potentially, you know, perhaps exited. And those are the folks that have been there and done it a real deal. Holyfield, you want to get advice from. So vet, uh, veterans, service members, uh, just be very judicious. And that's where vets2industry.org can come into play because they vet a lot of these things. Uh, so you can check out the resources there. All right. So I know we're just scratching the surface and I love the passion between Riley and Dan, man, we could fuel city blocks on the passion and, and the action uh, here, but Riley, how can folks, uh, as we start to wrap here, how can folks connect with you and sales platoon, whether they're a company interested in working with you, whether they're a veteran, airman, soldier, Marine, seaman, you name it, or anyone else that's interested, how can they connect with you? Yeah. Well, you know, they can go to our website. You know, we do have a website, uh, mysalesplatoon.com, salesplatoon.com, salesplatoon.org. I bought them all as we did it. Um, so I got them all snatched up now. But yeah, so they can go to the site and there's a lot of information on there. If you're a civilian employer, there's a lot of information about the, how many veterans are coming off active duty and and some some good information on tax credits and what you can like most people don't most companies myself included as a vp of sales 
didn't even know there was the workforce opportunity tax credit where if you bring somebody in from active duty, you get a minimum of $5,400 up to $9,600 in tax credits. So, and that's been around since World War II, but most companies aren't able to take advantage of it because they didn't know that, you know, they didn't, one, didn't know, and number two, they didn't have a way to capture it. So, but our site has a lot of information on it. It's not a very good sales site. I hate to say that as a sales guy. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I basically created it myself and I'm not a web developer and we're getting better. We're investing some money in it, but you can fill out a, if you're a veteran, you can find me on Veterati, which is another great resource for veterans, free resource. But if you go there, there's a link to my calendar. And if the date's open, it belongs to you. And, you know, just like Dan gave his time, you know, to, to two young guys in our platoon, I give my time. And, you know, I can help tell you about my career, how I got where I was. And if you're interested in sales platoon, we'll see if we can get those dates to align. I mean, we're authorized nationwide as a DOD SkillBridge program. We're going to soon be the first Department of Labor apprenticeship approval, national standards and accreditation. So we're in final stage review there. There's a lot that we can do to help you and get you into our program. You know, so there's both sides of that. If you're an employer looking to hire military sales talent, you know, then, you know, there's nowhere else to go. So uh, and I hate to sound that low, but it's, you know, we're the, you're a trailblazer. Uh, what, one final question, just to clarify for, for me. And and, I'm, and sometimes I'm a little bit slow on the uptake as, as old Greg White likes to say, but is veteran status required to be part of the program? Yeah. So they do have to be, you do have to be military at the moment. We're looking at other as we go deeper, I have certainly have an affinity for our professional athletes coming out. And there's a friend of mine, Nosa Eag, started a company called Prolific Company that works with that the NFL and NHL and the, you know professional sports leagues. Because again, the average professional athlete, they're kind of in that same dilemma. They're going to go spend five, six, seven years making three, four hundred thousand a year league minimum, and then they're going to be on their tail at 30 years old with no skill set, no training, but a hell of a lot of discipline, drive, determination. So we'll, we have a sisterhood, brotherhood with them type of companies, but we got a shoemaker stick to thy last. I try to stick with the, with our veterans. And it's not that we couldn't train salespeople. It's just, I mean, Dan had me come out and I spent some time with his team. I can share things from my own experience. I have 20 years sales experience. Mm. But we stick with veterans. You do need to be a veteran or a military spouse. We do. We will take a few military spouses as well, you know, in each cohort. So Love it. We've been talking with Raleigh Wilkins, founder and CRO with Sales Platoon. What an uh, outstanding program. So, hey, veterans, military members, military spouses, or companies looking to get more successful at their sales hires, be sure to check out sales platoon and give Raleigh and, and Raleigh, I'm assuming you're across social media as well beyond the website, right? Yep. Oh yeah. We're up on Instagram and Twitter and you know, I'm a, I'm a little slow adopter to it. I'm a little in that age group where that we're up there. We put our graduations up on our Facebook and in Instagram <laughs> and LinkedIn. You can find us pretty well. So wonderful. And we're going to make it easy in the show notes this episode. You're going to be able to be one click away from Raleigh and sales platoon. So I really appreciate that. Raleigh, really appreciate your time. Dan, don't go anywhere. I'm about to ask you your your favorite takeaway here. But Raleigh, I I really appreciate how unique this program is, um, how it plugs a gap, uh, how it fights through some of the some of the just human assumptions. Like we all make them, that unconscious bias is out there, whether you like it or not, I believe. Um, So I really appreciate what your organization is doing and congrats for continued exceptional growth. So I really appreciate your time here today. Thanks. Appreciate that. All right. So Dan, before we let Raleigh leave, before I close, what is your favorite thing 
that Raleigh has shared here today about Sales Platoon? I think he's reminded us that one of the things that veterans bring to the table is grit, determination, the ability to bounce back and just get on with it. And, you know, one of the, my, a good friend of mine, he's, he's one of the reps in my sales organization, and you know, I, I enjoy supporting him. We've worked together for 23 years, and he wasn't in the military, but he has the ability to bounce back. He can lose a million-dollar deal, or if for some reason it gets cancelled or paused or stalled. He can bounce back within a half a day. It's incredible. Now, he may have worked on that thing for one or two years, but he can, he can apply gratitude. He can bounce back. I think that's what uh, many veterans have to bring to the table. I've been through tougher times. I've worked hard. I'm determined. I'm disciplined. I'll study and I'll apply. And they have grit. And, and so that all of that, and, and you wrap all that up and the ability to bounce back when things don't go ex- exactly as expected. Um, it, I think that's what many veterans can bring if those veterans are also willing to say, right, I am a rookie. You know, I, I would certainly encourage them to be reading books and watching if this is the path they want to go in. But they also have to come in and, go and sort of accept, okay, I'm no longer an 06 or, an, uh, you know, a captain or whatever. I'm starting from the bottom. Right. And the more humble they can be, the more curious they can be, and the more, you know, the more they can show that drive, but through empathy and, and humility, they can do really well. You know, and so this is definitely a way where, dare I say it, we've got people in sales making more than 06 and 06s, you know, in, in, in sales. And, and, uh, and they don't have to wear uniforms. No. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> or shave, baby, some days. Right. Well, hey, right. That's right. Dan, a pleasure. I, I appreciate deeds, not words with Dan. I mean, we, we've uh, been collaborating out, feels like a year and a half maybe, and you live what you preach. And I admire that, Dan. And I love how you find ways of, of uplifting the veteran community here. So really appreciate. Uh, so Dan, how, let's, let's make sure we close the, the loop with you. How can folks connect with you, Dan Reeve and Esker? Yeah, folks can find Esker.com. That's E-S-K-E-R.com. And you'll find me, Dan, uh, Dan Reeve, or you'll find me on LinkedIn, uh, Daniel Reeve at Esker.com. Wonderful. All right. Big thanks to Raleigh Wilkins with Sales Platoon. Of course, my special co-host here today, Dan Reeve, with Esker. Make sure y'all connect with them. Their information will be in the show notes. Hey, to our listeners, hopefully y'all have enjoyed this conversation as much as I have. I've learned a lot of new things. Uh, you know, it's always neat to sit down and rub elbows with a trails, tra- uh, trailblazer that's addressing a gap in the market that's existed for quite some time. So make sure you connect with Raleigh. Also connect with, we, we've, we've mentioned vets2industry.org. Tons of resources, oftentimes vetted resources there. Brian Arrington does a great job and the whole team there. Be sure to check out our sponsors for this episode, buyersmeetingpoint.com. Kelly Barner over there, and of course, Dial P for procurement. Uh, big thanks for their support. On behalf of our entire team here at Veteran Voices and Supply Chain Now, Scott Luton signing off for now. But hey, challenging you to do good, give forward, be the change that's needed. And on that note, we'll see you next time right here on Veteran Voices. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.